In the drama of redemption, there are many points in the script where God could have written us off. But in every act, he always brings a twist. One unexpected moment that changes everything. You know, today people are living soundbite lives. Yeah, their life is just a, a cliche, a soundbite. They, they, they really don't have direction. They, they have some little cutesy phrase, and that seems to focus what they're doing. And so many people today, they, they're lacking a, a, a grand plot in their life. They kind of stumble through life, and their life, their accumulation of their life is, is barely a movie trailer that really kind of uh, prompts that there could be drama, there could be something important coming, but always under delivers. I've discovered that a, that a causeless soul always follows with a, with a careless life. A careless heart will be found when there's a causeless soul. In other words, if people don't have purpose and don't, don't, have, don't have meaning in their life, guess what they do? They just, they just vagariously make decisions. They're impromptu in life. They don't have any direction. Oh, they think their career is just to buy them more toys. They go through the scenario life. Fun is something other than what they're doing right now. They save up to go have fun. And the fun doesn't really last. And we just go through the motions of life. And we live varying degrees of boredom and busy. People are busy but bored. And there's, we're, our life is filled with so much stuff, but we don't have meaning and we don't have a sense of purpose. Today in our postmodern culture, people are mesmerized by the immediate. Right now, they're not thinking about what their life could or should be or what it might be tomorrow. They're thinking about the now. The here and now has overtaken the questions of who I am and why I am here. It's just what will I get in the moment? And the advertisers are exploiting that and selling us stuff that just fascinates us and entertains us in the moment. The pervasive conundrum today is we don't know what we want, but we're responsible for what we have. I've made my life. Here it is. But I really don't know if this is what I want. And we kind of try on life like clothes. People get in marriage, out of their careers and in and out. People are exploring, looking for direction, but can't find it. For just a moment, let's fast forward to the credits of life. Let's go down to the path in just a little bit. And let me ask you the question, are you leading your life to a grand plot or is it merely a meta-narrative? What's a meta-narrative? A meta-narrative is where self, me, I'm, I play the starring role, and God is the supporting actor. 
I do what I want, and God's just to step in the scene. God's to come alongside only when I need him, only when I'm frustrated, only when I need peace, only when I can't handle life. I invite God into the scene. He's the supporting actor. He just steps on in the scene. He fixes this up. He makes me feel good. And his job is to make me feel good about myself in my moment and in my decisions. Oh, he can't impose. He's not the starring role. He's not the important character. He's not the storyline. He is the supporting actor that is supposed to accentuate what I want and what I'm doing. That's not what God intends. Can I tell you, God intends that our life not be a meta-narrative where he is the supporting actor. God intends that our life is a grand plot and God is the author. If God is the author, there's a moral to the storyline. If God is the author, there is a purpose to what happens in our life. If God is the author, we're going to something that is His intended outcome. And God has a say-so in the decisions and the priorities and the directions that I have in my life to bring forth what God has. For you see, we were made for God and by God. Now, many of us believe we were made by God. You haven't bought into the fact you were made for God. Why? Because God is the supporting actor. And today I'm going to invite you to understand you're made by God and for God. There is a grand plot. There is something that God wants to do with every one of our lives. Where does this plot begin? It began in the eons of time. When God rolled out the blueprint of the universe and God stated he wanted to have a family, God stated his dream, his purpose, his intention was that he was to bring a family forth. And it's found in, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 through verse 6. Let me read. It says that he, God, he has chosen us in him before, notice that, before the creation of the world in accordance with the pleasure of his will to the praise of of his glorious grace. That last phrase, God had a party in mind. God had something so much better. Think about your most wishful thought about life. If if life could be the best, what would it be? You would describe it. God says, mine is even better to the praise of his glorious grace. God says that what he intended for creation, that you and I, it it was going to be a party, a celebration and God says he, he did it for his good pleasure. God wasn't mad at you. Oh, he's not at war with you. And he said he chose us in him before the creation of the world. You're not the afterthought of God. Some of you have been called by mom and daddy the uh-oh child, the surprise child, the one we didn't plan. Oh, don't put that label on your, yourself. You were not the afterthought. You're not the uh-oh. You're not the mistake. God chose you before the creation of this world. God saw you. God had a purpose. God has a grand plot he's bringing forth in every one of our lives. Before the creation of this world, God said, I have a party and I'm inviting you to it. Have you ever received a party invitation the day before it happens and found out the party has been planned for several weeks now? And you say, I get it. The favorite cousin couldn't come. They've already paid for the barbecue plate. And because the favorite cousin couldn't come, now they're calling me. They've already bought the barbecue plate. 
And now they're wondering, this party's been planned for a long time. I'm the afterthought. I'm the last chance. I'm, I'm just to fill in the chair. That's the time when you go to those kind of parties, you do the regifting. <laughs> Are you with me? Take that old stationery you got at Christmas you hate that has daisies all over it. You put it in a gift bag and you say, there. If you didn't think about me any more than to invite me and I was the afterthought just to eat your barbecue plate, you can just have my old stationery. Can I tell you that's not God? God said, I chose you before the creation of this world. You're not a mistake. You're not the afterthought of God. God says, I have a party and I invite you to be a part of it. Where did it begin? It begins in a lush creation God calls Eden. A garden of Eden that God says, you see what I'm about to do. And on planet earth, God, God brings forth this lush creation. And the scripture says he plants a garden in Eden. And he says, you think that's beautiful. The height, the apex of my creation is going to be mankind. Adam and Eve come forth and he puts them in the garden And he says, you have one job. You have one assignment. You're to fill the whole earth. You're to make this planet God's home. That's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. I planned it. I put this earth here. I put all the beauty here so you could enjoy it. And I want you to enjoy me. And your assignment here is to make this planet God's home. Oh, that's what God intended. Your best dreams, your best wishes, what you describe. Can I tell you this? What Scripture says, God called it paradise. And God says it's yours. God says it's mine. And he put Adam and Eve in the garden. And Adam and Eve has one stipulation, one rule. People think God has a long list. As long as your arms of do's and don'ts. No, God had one stipulation. You can have all the beauty. Fill this earth with beauty. Enjoy all that God has. Enjoy the party. And I have one stipulation for you. Here it is, Genesis chapter 2, verse number 16 and 17. It says, And the Lord God commanded man, saying, You shall surely eat of the tree, of the trees of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat it, you will surely die. Just one stipulation. One stipulation, God says, eat of everything. Take it, take it, enjoy it, enjoy it. Fill the whole earth, make it God's home. But I say there's only one thing you can't do. There's only one stipul, only one rule. One tree, don't eat that tree. Leave that tree alone. That tree is not for you. And I have to tell you, God says, the day you eat it, the day, the very day you eat it, judgment will be swiftly. Judgment will come. Judgment is certain. You will die. One stipulation. You know the human nature of man. What did he do? Adam and he plucked the fruit of disobedience. Oh, they said, we can do it our way. Oh, God's tolerant. God lets anything. Anything's all right. God just takes you as you are. God lets you do whatever you want. That whole pervasive thought is still in our culture today. The heart of man never changes. I'll do it my way. I'll do it my way. I'll live a net and narrative life. God... I'll do what I want to do. You're the supporting actor. I'll do and I'll make my choices. And you step in and you accentuate what I want in life. And God says, no, I'm the author. I choose. Don't touch it. Adam and Eve took the forbidden fruit and darkness came upon their soul. But something happened. Something happened that 
That's the plot twist, if you please. The plot twist. What did God say? Judgment will come swiftly. Don't eat it. Then the day you eat it, you will surely die. But death did not come. Wait a minute, God, you made the rule, but you're not going to enforce the rule. I don't understand that. What's up? I'm in a quandary here. And the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 24, He, God, He placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherub and with a flaming sword, flashing back and forth to guard. Notice that word, to guard, to guard the way of the tree of life. Guard? Well, what do you mean guard? Guard means to protect. Guard means to watch over. Guard means to make sure it's not lost. Guard means to, to, to make sure it's always there, to not let it be lost, stolen, or, or forgotten. To guard the way. What do you mean? An angelic being with a flaming sword? How come that angelic being with a flaming sword is not going to slay man? That's what you said, God. You said the day we eat it, we're going to die. But judgment does not come. Judgment has stayed. God says, I'm going to guard the way. Wait, wait a minute, guard. Why, why don't you eradicate man? Why don't you en en enact the judgment upon man that God, you said, would, would happen? But it does not happen. Judgment does not come. God does not punish man. And the plot begins to turn. Generation after generation will go on and sin will become rampant. It will touch the heart of everyone. Humanity. Every home, every heart, every individual to the point... In Genesis chapter 6, verse number 5, this is what God says. God saw that human evil was out of control. And God saw that human evil was out of control. Well, surely at this moment, it's out of control. God, the flaming sword is going to fall upon man. Judgment will come. Surely now, this is the time to eradicate it. This is the time to eliminate evil, to eliminate sin, to, to rid the world, to rid the universe, to rid time of all evil sin. But that does not happen. What occurs? God taps a man by the name of Noah on the shoulder. A torrent of rain will begin to pelt the earth Forty days and forty nights, the rain will fall upon the earth. And God will say to Noah, you, your family, and you're to get two of every species of animal on the face of the earth and put them in the ark. And I'm going to bring them forth to a new day and a new moment. One more time, the decree of judgment did not fall the bow of God's retribution seemed drawn. The arrow of justice was pointing at the heart of man. You think in any moment God's going to release it and smite humanity, but God stays his judgment and he does not. Why? God, you made the rules. God, you're the one that established it. You had one stipulation and mankind fell. Why did you not bring judgment upon humanity? And here the plot twist is uncovered. Why? Why? Why when you made the rule, God, you didn't bring judgment? Why when man sinned, you didn't punish him? Why was judgment stayed? Why was the, the, the gavel of your justice held and you didn't bring the verdict of judgment upon man? Why? Why, why? why is it? Why is judgment halted? Why is, why is the wrath of God held back? Why are you delivering man when man deserved judgment and should have been judged 
Because he knew the rule ahead of time. Why is it God? It's the same question that every heart in here has grappled with at some time. Every one of us at one time in our life, we've grappled with this question. Why does a just God allow wrong and evil to occur? Oh, yes. I've wrestled with that. So have you. We've all wrestled with that in our minds and our hearts at some time. God, why? Why do you allow evil and injustice? And sometimes we've charged God with being unfair, unjust, and unkind because we see evil in our world. When I hear news of terrorism, when we, we see genocide, war, holocaust, we say, God, why would you allow evil and wrong to exist? Why is it that that occurs? We don't understand it. That's what the that's what every family member whose loved one has taken them with cancer way too early. They've asked that question. It's what the rape victim asks in their heart. Why, God? Why did you allow that? Why, God? The parents of a, of a child born with a birth defect have asked that question. It's, it's what the... It's the question in the heart of everyone that's been victimized by injustice, been wounded, whose heart has been broken, who have seen the injustice and the, the, the wrong of life heaped upon them. We've said, God, why do you allow? God, why is it your judgment immediately and fully discharged against it at that moment? And here's the answer. For God to get rid of the consequence of sin... God has to get rid of the cause of sin. God won't just deal with the consequence of sin, of evil and wrong. In order to get rid of the consequence and to judge it, God would have to judge the cause of evil, wrong, and that's humanity. You see, we were in the crosshairs. We were at ground zero of evil. Yes, our DNA is at the crime scene. It was humanity. God said, guess what? All you've got to do is fill the earth and make it my home. I'll let you have everything. There's just one stipulation. Don't do it. And man, by his rebellion and his spiritual treason, he did the one thing God said to not do. And God could have been just in bringing judgment, but he withheld his judgment. He suspended his judgment for a moment. He held it back. He would not smite mankind. He would not judge mankind. Sometimes we say God is to blame, and there are people in this room, you're blaming God for something that's happened in your life. Some unfortunate situation, some unkind, some evil, some wrong, some mishap in life, and you have blamed God. Do you know why we do it? you know why we do it? It's because if we can't blame God, we have to admit we are to blame. Yes, humanity did not follow God. Humanity didn't go down God's path. God could have judged, but he didn't. God stayed his judgment. Yes, God stayed his judgment. He didn't bring his wrath. Why? God withheld his judgment so he could open a door of redemption. You know, even I get the fact that if a car has one flat tire, you don't take it to the wrecking yard and crush it and throw it away. You fix the one thing that's wrong. 
And God says there's something that was wrong. And I could have been right in judging and destroying it, but I refused to do that. And God held back because of one, one word. One three-letter word. One three-letter word allows God to put a an angelic being in the garden to guard the way and not to destroy the way and not to destroy man. One three-letter word taps Noah on the shoulder and God says, I'm going to save humanity and not destroy them all. One three-letter word will tilt the scale of justice against, away from against man to man's favor. One three-letter word will hold the arrow of judgment. One three-letter word. God will put a bow in the sky when Noah came out of the ark. It's a bow without an arrow to remind us God's not at war with humanity. One three-letter word will stay judgment. One three-letter word will halt the destruction of humanity. It's the word yet, yet, yet. Psalm 78, verse number 38. Yet he was merciful. I was sinful, yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities, even though they broke the law and the stipulation. Yet he would not destroy them. Yet time after time he restrains his anger and he would not stir up his wrath. And that one word, yet, introduces to me one of the most impressive characteristics about God that baffles my understanding. The long-suffering of God. The long-suffering of God. When man deserved to see God's fist, we saw God's heart. When we, sh- we should have been the object of, of punishment and retribution, God stayed at judgment and he held it back when evil and wrong was rampant. And we know that evil and wrong should be dealt with. God says to deal with it, I have to destroy man and I won't do it. I can't do it. So God's justice was stayed because of the long-suffering of God. God extended not his fist, God extended his heart. Let me put it to us this way. Humanity, we unfriended God, but God said, I'm not going to unfriend you. God wouldn't give up on humanity. God wouldn't walk away. You see, God does not overlook sin. Don't think that. Don't think that because God stayed yet. He overlooks sin. God looks beyond sin. He held his judgment. Not because he approves of the wrong, the sin. He doesn't approve of the evil. He, he doesn't justify it. But God looks past it. He looks beyond it. He does not destroy Dr. Jekyll because he has hope for Mr. Hyde. He seeks to redeem He seeks to offer His grace. He seeks to give people an opportunity. I'm here today to tell you God's not fighting against you. He's fighting for you. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you think God's fighting against you, but He's not. God's not fighting with you. God's fighting for you. 
And some of us, because of neglect, yeah, we're living a meta-narrative life. God, you're the supporting actor. I'm going to ignore you until I'm laid off. My marriage is in trouble or my kids are having problems. Then, God, I want, I, want to, I want you to step in the scene. I want you to fix what I've messed up. But as soon as it's fixed, God, I'll show you the door and I'll go back living the way I've always lived. Neglect. Neglect. Some, we look at our life and we see failure. You say, Pastor, you don't realize I, I don't have one bad marriage mess up. I have, I have a couple. I, I, I didn't mess up one time. You don't realize what I've done. I, I, I've spent the last decade or two making wrong choices. I, I've wrecked a lot of stuff. There's a lot of brokenness and the guilt, the toxic guilt of that is poisoning your soul. Every time you think about God, you give God 10 reasons why God shouldn't do anything for you. God, I'm not worth it. God, I can't. God, I, 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 I failed. I promised. And God, I turned my back. And we give God a list and a litany of our failures and mistakes. We look at our brokenness. And we say, surely, surely I'm disqualified. What I've done, what I am, I'm, I'm a label now. I'm a label. You can, you can, you can Google who I am. And it will list a litany of synonyms of brokenness, conniving, mistake, misjudgment, mishap. Not being proactive, letting it slip through my hand, my brokenness, my failure, my mistake. Have you ever noticed when you think somebody's upset with you, you avoid them? Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. If you think your boss is upset with you, you ever notice you try to walk down the hallway a different way? Yeah. 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 Have you ever noticed that? If, you, if, if, we, if we feel like there's, 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 there's hostility or grievance or difficulty we, we avoid, that's exactly what Adam and Deve did when they sinned. Where did God find them in the garden? He found them in the shadows hiding. It's human nature to withdraw if we think that we're not in a good relationship, things are not well. But remember, God went looking for man. He called, he called to Adam, verse number 9 of Genesis chapter 3. The first altar call in the Bible was given by God. The first altar call in the Bible, God gave it, and he called unto Adam. God's in the business of gathering and bringing people in the Old Testament, I was reading Scripture just last week, and I came across the word long-suffering. So I just began to do a w- word search in the Hebrew, and I found something I never realized before. The Hebrew word for long-suffering actually means, actually has a facial expression to it. It actually has the idea of a frown. Let me interpret it for you. And God, when we sinned, when we failed, he wouldn't even frown at you. He wouldn't do anything that would make you think he won't receive you or to push you away. The long-suffering of God means he wouldn't even cast dispersion on you. Why? 
the long-suffering of God, His redemptive nature is to bring us back to Him. And some of us, we're living a meta-narrative life. God is the supporting actor, and God wants to be the author of your life. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you that chance. I'm going to ask you to make the most quality, safe decision you've ever made, not a guilt prayer. Not a prayer, God, just fix up the mess that I've made. God, just get me out of this and I'll go about doing. Not, not the false promise of God, I'll do better next time. And we know we won't. I'm talking about a redirection of your heart. And to do that, I want to tell you a story. True story. 1833. 1833. A man by the name of George Wilson received a death penalty for a crime. It was robbery. The death penalty was given to George Wilson. His execution was planned. He had a friend who appealed to then-President Andrew Jackson and asked Andrew Jackson to pardon him. President Andrew Jackson did issued a presidential pardon, but George Wilson turned it down. Yes, turned it down. How can you turn down a president? Can you even do that? Is that even legal? It went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court had to bring a rendering, and this is what the Supreme Court said. A pardon, a pardon is tendered, but a pardoned A pardon received is a pardon given. But if a pardon is not received, a pardon is not given. George Wilson turned down a presidential pardon. And he was executed. He was hung. Hung. A pardon was offered, but the Supreme Court said a pardon offered but not received is no pardon at all. And I'm here to tell you, God in His long-suffering, God in His long-suffering has chose not to destroy humanity. Why does a just God allow evil? Because if He was to do away with the evil, my name would be on that list. Your name would be on that list. And God said, I won't give up on you. I won't give up on you. The plot twisted. The plot turned. And God in His long-suffering, He offers pardon, but pardon offered has to be pardon received. And I'm going to invite you some are away from God today. Some of you have you've backslid and frontslid and backslid in and out, up and down. You're living a meta-narrative life. God does not want to be the supporting actor anymore. He wants to be the author and bring forth the future and the, and the purpose that He has intended in your life. And I'm going to give you that opportunity. So in this house, balcony and main floor, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads right now. You have a private audience with God right now.
And I'm asking you, I put the question, are you ready to give God your best? Are you ready to make a full heart surrender to Jesus? Not halfway, not almost, all the way. No meta-narrative, no God the supporting actor, but God is the author. And God is central. And walk away and walk to God and say, God, I give you my all, if that's you. You want to go all the way in with Jesus, all the way in. Sir, it's not enough to just have these moments twice a month where you go to church and be nice to God and just do the good thing. Good without God is not enough. Good without God is not enough. God does not want to be the supporting actor. And sir, I'm asking you, I'm, I'm giving the Holy Spirit invitation to you. And here it is. Will you let God be the author of your life from now on? And if that's you, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, balcony, main floor. I want God to be the author of my life. So here it is. Get ready. One two, three. That's me. Yes. That's me. That's me. Everyone that raised your hand, I'm going to invite you to stand up right now. Don't wait a minute. Stand up. And then I'm going to ask you to walk down here and stand with me. We're going to pray. If you're in the balcony, stand up. Stand up. Just take a bold moment. This is your bold, go on the record, faith moment with Jesus. You come and stand with me. We're going to pray. You raised your hand. Come down here. This is the real deal. This is the real deal. This is the, I'm going all the way in. No more meta-narrative. No more God's supporting actor. I'm going all the way in this time. Going all the way in with God. I realize now God's been so merciful to me. God, God wouldn't push me away when I didn't even give him the time of day. And now it's an all-the-way-in moment. Here it is. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. The person we talk to is God. And the Scripture says God's forgiving. And some of us, you have a very definite, very specific issue. Maybe there's even a date on a calendar and you say, it's this. I don't need to know it, but God already knows it. There's some things you cannot correct. You can't go back and change the past, but you can change now in the future. And things that I can't change, here's what I do. I say, God, forgive me. That's what it is. I know religion would like to tell you it's more involved than that, but the gospel is so clear. God's in the forgiving business, not the retribution business. God will forgive you. You asking, God will forgive you. You don't earn it. Why? Because God gives it. God gives it. You ask Him, He'll forgive you. You ask Him, God will forgive you. And then here's what you do say from this day forward. God, I'm doing life your way. I'm going to do life your way. I've done it with halfway and part-time God. But today, God, you become the author of my life. You become the center if you'll do that. Jesus will step into your life. This is your making new moment. This is your making new moment. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Would you join me now?
balcony and main floor. Father, these dear people have been prompted. Some have been tormented by the past. Memories of issues and hurts. Some have been wounded by life and have unfairly charged you with that. And they realize today, God, you're not the author of that. You never intended that. That's what mankind chose. But we don't have to be labeled by that. We don't have to live in that. And God, we give you our sin. We give you our junk. We give you our mistakes. We give you our inhibitions. We give you our neglect. We give you, God, all the hurt. There, there are things, there's, there's memories in some people's lives and hearts they're giving to you now. And they're asking you, Lord, to wash that out of their heart, wash that out of their spirit, to not be defined by it, to not be known by it anymore. You're not going to look at them as X. You're not going to have labels on them. By the power and the grace of Jesus Christ, you're going to cleanse them, change their life. God, give them a renewed mind. Tomorrow they're going, to be, they're going to think they're the same because there's nothing they can do to change the past, but they don't have to. God, you're going to do it. You're going to do it to the gift of God. It's what the gospel's all about. It's the gift of God, and you're going to do it for them and through them. And I pray that. I pray, God, for men, men that struggle to know how to submit to God and let God be the author. Oh, God, give that man courage and strength. Lead him and guide him and And Lord, just give him confidence. He can do it. Men, we try to do it in ourselves. There's just something in us, God. We want to earn stuff. We want to deserve stuff. Free us men from that. God, give these men the ability to just accept grace from you. And I pray that over them. That you would be the author of their life. Those in the balcony, God. You saw their life. You see their life. They stepped into this auditorium and you see the storyline and you want to change it. They have written the end in some chapters, but you're not writing that. Grace gives them a new moment. Grace gives them a new hope and a new future. And I pray that upon them. And I bless your people. And I speak the favor of God upon your people. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. I'm going to ask the prayer team to walk through. and We just want to give you something. We just want to give you something. In that is a DVD, a nine-minute DVD. I do a nine-minute teaching to help explain what your next step of faith is. Just take it. When you have nine minutes free this week, would you view it and just let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart? And today is a making new day for you. It's your making new day. It's your making new day. It's your making new day. It's all the way in. It's your making new day. Thank you for being with us. Westover family, thank you. In the balcony, they'll make them available to you as well. Thank you, prayer team, for doing that. And God bless you. Go in the love of Jesus.